the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com today for all the greatest stories. Daily podcasts. Check out the lead, by the way. Won themselves a Webby. They are a daily sports podcast, kind of like the 30 for 30s, but a short version audios. They're great. They're, they're outstanding, and it's topical. So if something's happening, you can pretty much guarantee that the lead podcast is covering it in depth. That's part of The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your annual subscription. That is $2.99 a month for tons and tons of content. My name is Mike Gennetti. Welcome to this edition of the Spot Pack Podcast. We're going to spin around the, the sports world a little bit for this Tuesday. Uh, a little bit of NBA reopening discussions and some finances there. And then we're going to dive into these Major League Baseball offers, one from the owners, one back from the players now, and try to get the nuts and bolts of the numbers out because the numbers are big, then little, then big again. Scott Allen and I are going to try to find maybe a happy medium to get us there because we are down to the wire. This seems like it might be the last week for Major League Baseball to really try to hammer out a deal and get themselves back on the field in a couple of weeks and with a real plan. Paul Humbicate is from ESPN, the producer uh, and statistician for Buster Olney and get shows like Get Up. He's been, he was the Mike and Mike producer for quite a bit, has bounced around. He is an invaluable tool to the ESPN community. We're so happy that he... Uh, he has to join the show again. We're going to get him back as much as possible. Big stat guy, big numbers guy. He loves to bring uh, different kind of trivia and stuff like that. So whenever he reaches out, we're going to make sure to get him on. So we'll have him on later in the show as well to talk some baseball. Other than that, uh, just I just want to give two minutes on the, uh, you know, the not to stick to sports stuff. Obviously, we're in a pretty divisive time right now for the American landscape. I'm not going to go politics. All I'm going to say is this. We're all pent up. <laughs> Many of us with kids, you know, many of us without jobs, many of us having trouble getting food. I, I fear that's going to get worse as some of these shortages really start to kick in, unfortunately. It's the, uh, the, the anxiety and all that is at a maximum high. We need sports now more than ever. That's all I want to say about this because almost every single sport transcends this stuff. It just does. It, you, there are so many different groups of people that can sit down and watch a football game or watch a basketball game or even watch golf, boring golf on, an, on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. And uh, it just sort of takes us away from the other side. Not that that stuff isn't important, and I don't want to downplay it. I just want to take the sports side of it, which is, yes, sports are a great platform for people to be able to speak to, to this kind of stuff through. But not having the games to go with this kind of stuff, or just not having the games in our lives is a huge void right now when so much unrest is happening across the country and across the world, of course, with the virus. So to me, more than ever, we need live sports back on our television screens and hopefully in person soon because that whole atmosphere, the regularity of it, the consistency of it, the reliability of having live sports, especially a, a long season like baseball, which God knows if it's even coming back, but there's just a, I don't think it's pathetic to need sports as much as many of us do, myself included. And right now, boy, I could sure use it. I could sure use just diving into a nerdy baseball game on a Wednesday afternoon uh, when I know there's probably only 11 people watching, myself included. But it, it matters to a lot of people's psyche to be able to just kind of get away from whatever you have to get away from. We all have our days. 
And I think we're all having a day right now, is my point. And we need live sports back in our lives. So it's good that we were starting to see some, uh, some light at the end of the tunnel with a few of these leagues. Hopefully, a leagues like baseball can figure it out. We're going to sp- certainly speak to that to, with Scott Allen in a couple of minutes here. But I just wanted to give my sports take on a non-sports entity because I think it's big. I think anybody who's listening to this podcast, anybody who follows me on Twitter – we're all huge sports people and maybe even more in depth than the, the average sports fan because of how we dive into these numbers together and, and try to an, analyze maybe a little bit more closely than, than, the, than the average person would. We, we need it in our lives. We need the getaway. We need the, the vice, the crutch that it is. And uh, I can't wait for it because I think it's going to make people feel a heck of a lot better on a grander scale, at least from a, a dive away and hide away. And so hopefully that's soon. It sounds like it's soon. We do have leagues coming back with actual dates. Looking forward to it. Can't wait for it. All right, let's bring in Scott Allen and talk some money. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. Take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in the game like Jordan, Brady, Zion, Trout, and plenty more. Get your box today at Hit Parade's exclusive online provider, dacardworld.com. That's www.dacardworld.com. No one has more hits than Hit Parade. Joined once again by the other spot track guru, Scott Allen. Scott, thanks for joining the show. Hope you had a good weekend. Uh, we're getting closer to something, at least in a few sports. Let's start with the NBA. You know, that's your neck of the woods. We did a deep dive last week on what could be a halfway decent NBA offseason whenever we get there. It sounds like there's going to be a precursor to that, which is going to be some sort of playoff. Uh, you know, the plans are all out there. There's three, four legitimate plans of how that's going to work, which teams may or may not be invited, all that good stuff. Let's steer clear of the reopening and, the, and that side of it. Anything from a financial standpoint you want to discuss? Actually, I, I have a question for you. I know there was a May paycheck that was reduced, I believe 25%. I think that was the only paycheck that was reduced in the NBA for the regular season. We now know that the regular season is done, that they're not going to come in with any normal games. There may be play-in games, which will technically be, qualify as postseason games. There, there is no postseason salary for NBA players. There, are, there is a bonus pool that is based off of revenue, uh, generally the, the revenue that's earned in that postseason, so in this case, all television. Um, and then it's dispersed accordingly based on how far into the playoffs you, you go. Am I correct in saying that? Correct. Okay. So the farther you go, the more you make. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, yep. But what do you know about the, the, the end of the regular season being chopped off here, and was any pay left on the table? Is there, is there anything that the Players Association and the NBA should be fighting for at this point, I guess? Mm, could be some of those bonuses that we've talked about in the past that are per game or uh, percentage-based. Uh, you know, Some guys had three-point or three-point percentages that uh, may have missed by one point. Or something like that so there might be some guys that are could have been due for an incentive bump uh where the not likely to be earned becomes likely to be earned which would affect cap moving forward because those likely to be earned would then be included in the cap for the 2020 season 
whereas the not likely to be earned would not be included. So there, there are some financial implications based on that out of the regular season. As far as the regular season paychecks go, was that one that was reduced the last one? I do not know for a fact. Um, I don't know if they're continuing. I think the next one would have been today, um, but I'm not sure uh, if it's going to continue or not. Yeah, I would imagine, as it would have normally been, as soon as the postseason started, those paychecks stop. You get paid up until the end of the regular season, and that, and then that's it. And I know each player has a different pay structure. Your stars are front-loaded with much of their salary in advance and so forth. Yeah. But I, I guess my point is the only thing we heard with the NBA is that there was a 25% chop in that May 15th payment, and that was pretty much across the board, right? Everybody, everybody came down 25%. Is that correct? Yeah, from that yeah, from that paycheck, twenty five percent out of there. Um and I haven't heard anything since. So um I, I don't know if it's based on games missed or if right. the force majeure forces it uh it is null and void because they would come back. So I I don't know yeah, the there's a lot answer of scenarios to that because, because I haven't heard. Yeah, there's a lot of scenarios because you know, I, I alluded to it, but someone like a LeBron has already made his entire salary this year. That's been paid out from what we know pretty much by February. And right, but he would he would still have to pay a portion out of his twenty twenty salary. Oh, so yeah. anyone who has advanced the money will pull from next year's? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so everybody like everybody Steph, lost money here then. So like Steph Curry, John Wall, uh Kevin Durant, LeBron James, uh Blake Griffin, Paul George, those are the a uh, handful of guys that I know that had some advances and they would have to be taken out of their 2020 season. Interesting. Um, is there any fighting for that? I, I guess my point is this. We're in baseball hell right now right? with these with these extreme offers that we'll get to in a second here. But, uh, you know, I don't think we've heard a, a darn thing from the NBA about, you know, the the business side of it from the player standpoint, getting back into it for 2020. Seems like everybody's pretty satisfied, and I guess I'm kind of speaking through Michelle Roberts, who's the Players Union Association director. Um, it sounds like from her end that we're all just good to go, and whenever the green light is given, we're going, and the business side of it is settled to some degree. Uh, it, do you think there's something behind the scenes that's been discussed that maybe Adam Silver is just kind of taking – he's already taken it into consideration, doesn't need to be made public – and they don't want to have the mess that these other leagues apparently are having. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you make a super valid point. We haven't heard nothing, anything out of basketball players griping about losing money really at all uh, compared to what baseball players have been saying. So, yeah. And for good reason. They're, they're, it's, uh, that, that's an apples and oranges conversation. But, yeah, the fact that it's been nothing, to your point, is, I guess, at least interesting, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think maybe there isn't as much of a gripe because it's 25% off of their their paycheck itself, not off of their entire mm -hmm. uh, salary like we're seeing in baseball. So it's not as much of a hit. Uh, so no, maybe it's, that it's is minimal. why. It's very minimal. I think. I think. I do think the situation where guys like LeBron though have to pull from next year. That's. That's interesting. I mean, in a similar vein, there's a lot of discussion about Major League Baseball deferring payments into next year to sort of offset the fact, instead of reducing guys like Mike Trout and Garrett Cole down so far, 
they'll reduce them slightly, but then push maybe half of their salary into next year so to give them time to recoup some of that revenue. Um, similar conversations, I guess, but I, I don't know. I, I'm happy, by the way. I'm, I'm not being negative with this. I'm happy that the NBA appears to be smooth sailing into a, a rock-solid plan of whatever that's going to be. And we've talked about it before, and this is how I'll end it. My guess is they're not worried about revenue. <laughs> I think they know that they're sitting in a situation with this this uh, Orlando bubble where they can generate a ton of TV revenue with their what about to do. I mean, you mentioned it off air, but mm-hmm. let's, let's get it online. You know, it's important to them to, ha- to make this the best TV show possible. That's why we're hearing the amount of teams we're hearing. I mean, you, you mentioned it off air, Scott. There's a there's, the, the the Pelicans, I believe, are the 18th ranked team in basketball. When you take when you strip away the conferences, having Zion on TV for a bunch more games makes good revenue sense for the NBA. So yeah. it, it stands to reason that there's going to be at least 18 t- teams in this playoff because having New Orleans on our TV screens is just good business, right? It is absolutely. Uh, in as we talk about the financial landscape of the NBA, I mean. It's horrible that they had to end their season in such circumstances, but the whole situation with China and Daryl Morey at the beginning of the season being wrapped into this, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if it's the best case scenario of the worst thing that that China situation was wrapped inside of this, as opposed to China being isolated and dropping the cap or revenue, and then the pandemic happening at another time. It may work out for the NBA that this just happens to be all within the same season, and they can take their lumps now and then move forward. Well, I guess the answer to that is, will China watch this postseason? <laughs> because if they do, then there'll be a lot of that money recouped. That's really the True. answer. And if if you know the China relationship is still bad, and a lot of the fans really have bailed on 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 the NBA because of what happened, I you know I don't know. It seems like forever ago at this point, and, and in a lot of ways it is. But that's all that matters. You know, merchandise. It it's merchandise, and it's and it's television eyeballs. And if they can get that back. And, you know, like I said, you know, they're going to sell the story to us. They're going to sell the Zion story. They're going to sell. I mean, I'm sure they've got partners already on board with this. I'm sure Nike and Gatorade and all the usual suspects, Coca-Cola, are all in on capturing the production of Disney <laughs> over the course of the next 60 days or whatever it's going to be starting the end of July. Uh, we just got to get there. We just got to get there. It sounds like the NBA does yeah, have do. a good platform. So it's, it's, I mean, July 31st is an eternity so much of this can can turn for the worse until then, but it's worth. I, I just wanted to bring the finances into it because there's the lack of discussion of it is actually interesting to me because everything else is really in our face, you know. Outside of the NFL, who's just got their head down, barreling forward here, and we're following in those footsteps as well. Um, you know, the baseball discussion, which we can turn to here, the NBA is just completely different. Not only have they been silent, but now that we have a now that we know their plan. It, it's just all logical. We just get it. We, we, you know, and maybe we, maybe it's not a perfect health plan. You know, they do seem to be, it sounds like they're bringing a whole bunch of people to, to Orlando and, you know, I, even as well as they can contain that, or they think they contain that it's going to be dangerous to have hundreds and hundreds of family members and players and members of the media and whatnot, all in one place at one time. But, uh, does seem and, and we talked about it last week we were expecting adam silver to come out with the most logical plan and the best plan 
going forward. I think we're there. We don't have a final on exactly how the postseason is going to work, but we know there's going to be a postseason. We know the regular season has been aborted. To me, that's also the right move. Do you agree with that? And the NHL has done the same. It's Let's just get to the postseason, right? Yeah, I agree with that at this point. I mean, if the play-in, if there's a play-in situation, that's essentially your end of regular season anyways because you're just getting those guy, uh, those teams that were fringe playoff teams a chance to get in based on what their standing was and go from there. I, I, I think that's the best move. Me too. Because Every game should team, be meaningful. Yeah, teams like Golden State or Cleveland, yeah. they were just so far out. There's, there's really no point. So, <laughs> well, I mean, getting Steph Curry on TV would be good for the NBA, but it all would. things considered, no, you can't include Golden State in this. All no, right. but what, what will be interesting as the last point here is coming back, it'll be interesting to see what players do play uh, because were they on injuries? Oh, and, oh right. And now the they're John healthy. Walls. Yeah. So, yeah, John Wall saying he was 110%. Does he come back or does he just wait until next season? Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. all indications have been through his agent and everything else. He's not going to play. But when push comes to shove, is he healthy enough that he wants to come back? What and about Kyrie? Do we know it, about him? I, I have heard absolutely nothing <laughs> about him. So <laughs> I, I maybe that's good for him. That. Good for him for once. <laughs> Um, all right, let's switch gears to baseball. We, uh, again, we don't, we have offers. They are, uh, we're certainly not meeting in the middle. Let's put it that way. And it sounds like we got about five days for these two sides to start meeting in the middle because the plan's aggressive in terms of dates. And, uh, there are, I mean, it sounds like they, they, they want to do this July kickoff with games, which means you need at least two and a half, three weeks of preparation, second spring training here, which would mean like starting in, 20 days you know you're gonna have to quarantine everybody for two weeks and then get this thing off the ground immediately i think it's probably more likely now in the nba's timeline end of july before anything happens because of how far apart these offers are but let's get into them you and i spent some time this weekend discussing things putting some uh putting some proof to the pudding here of how these things all break down we understanding the owner's original deal and how it scaled the salaries down and we, we kind of ran through the entire league with it so our numbers are big, and they're glaring. I tweeted them out this morning. Let's discuss them a little bit here. When you just look at the projected rosters that were going to start in March for 2020, which would have been 26 active players and a couple, and, and you know a couple of dozen players who were who are going to hit the IR, the IL, uh, for injuries. All of those essentially count towards your active roster right now. Turns out to be 810 players, which is what we've got on our spreadsheets in front of us here in the, the work you did this weekend. Those salaries combined for $3.86 billion across the entire 2020 season. So that's the number. That was our starting point. So you did some work then with the owner's offer to see where, where did it take us. If, if we use the percentage-based tiers that they, they provided, which could not have been more complicated to the untrained eye, um, but you know, together we, we kind of collectively figured out what the heck was going on here. And it does make a little bit of sense, by the way, I'm not, I'm not here just to crush the owners, the, the owners. Yes. The number I'm going to give you in a second here is crazy low, but the, the reason for doing this does make sense. And, and I kind of punched holes in it a bunch of times here as we were doing the math, 
they were they're protecting themselves from a second wave, from having to shut this thing down, from an entire Yankees team testing positive and not being able to move forward after 30 games. So, you know, yes, they, they offered 82 games up, but of course they have to safeguard the fact that any, you know, two to three weeks in, this thing could all turn to hell. And that's mm-hmm. just a reality because they're not just putting together a 50-day postseason like the hockey and basketball are. They're trying to put together a, a, a multi-month, you know, it's going to be an aggressive game schedule, whether it's 82 or 100 plus. And uh, they don't want to have to, I, I mean, certainly somebody like Mike Trout who makes $36 million a year, if you if you prorate that over 162 games, it's going to be way bigger than if you were prorate the minimum $563,000 salary over 162 games. So if you're just paying that out on an annual, on a game basis, and they play 30 games, well, Mike Trout would have made X dollars, which would be way more than Glaber Torres made with the Yankees on X dollars, right? That's just, there's just going to be a stark difference. So their scaling method safeguarded from that. Everybody's, everybody made the minimum salary to start. And then as time went along, everybody, anybody who qualified made the $1 million tier. Anybody who qualified after that made the $5 million tier, 10, 20, and then 20, and then over 20. So based on how much your total salary was, you could get yourself back into higher tiers of pay as the season went along. It makes sense. It's logical when you think about it that way, because they're safeguarding themselves from shutting back down. And, and I'm having paid Mike Trout way too much money for 11 games. So from the math standpoint, I get it. Here's the number, and Scott, you can discuss it a little bit. Like I said, the original 162-game combined salaries was $3.86 billion. Based on the owner's scaled offer for an 82-game season, that number dropped to $934 million. Your thoughts? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's substantial. It's I huge. mean, there's... They're saving 76% of their money, I mean, because of that that tiered system. I mean, when you look at Trout, he goes from – he would essentially go from $36 million down to $5.5 million. Um, so th- those high guys get substantial loss in money, but like you said, they're trying to – safeguard themselves for so i said that about the i said unknowns. that about the way that the tiers worked but the the overall 76 percent drop that's that's unacceptable it's it's oh, unacceptable yeah. as any offer let alone the first offer it is it is such a slap in the face <laughs> it, like there's there's I'm sure there's rhyme or reason to it. I'm sure there's a there's a really smart accountant who said, this is what we stand to lose. If we bring the salaries of the players down to here, we can reconcile to some degree. Fine. That's fine. But the optics and the the recklessness with which you're doing this right up against the deadline, and we just talked about it, there's definitely a, a, a deadline here. I mean, there's going to be a, a point in time where they say, forget it, we're done. They didn't help at all with this original offer. All, you, all they had to do was say, here's what, here's what we're proposing. This, this tiered scale, and let's work together to figure out from a percentage standpoint how we can make this work and compromise and get to a point where this scale works for everybody because we think this is the best approach. Because like I said, there are some real positives to having that kind of approach in terms of the pay versus just chopping 25% off everybody's salaries and going from there, which, like I said, Mike Trout's going to gain a lot more than your minimum salary guys. And and for everything we know, you know, the minimum, the, the, the lower class to the middle class, of course, dominates Major League Baseball. So you want to make sure you're taking care of as many people as possible. 
So I think the scale has merit, but the the recklessness with which they adhered to that scale from a from a publicly made offer is a joke. So let's talk about the players' counter last night, late last night, which again became public. Which why are they doing this publicly? Why mm. there's no need for it? I shouldn't be getting notifications at 11 p.m. Eastern that that the MLBPA has just made this offer, and here are the the exact bullet points to how it's done. I don't understand this. I love it because sure, it sure makes my life easier because I can understand it in plain clear sight. But again, just get behind a room and get it done. Get get the ten people yep. that matter behind a room and get it done. All right. Here's here's the offer. The, the players basically said, "All right, you went you went that far right. We're going to come back as left as we can without making it look like we're jerks. We want 114 games." We want to stick to our original prorated salaries, which means Mike Trout's $36 million over 162 is now $36 million over 114, which is now 20, a little over $25 million. So it's essentially a, is it, what is it, about a 25% cut? Is that about yeah, right, Scott? I don't have it in front yeah, of me. About. Yeah, so he, he drops from $36 million to 25 and change for 114 games played. Players can opt out. If they don't feel like it's safe for them to play this year, for instance, a lot of players have wives who are pregnant and expecting. Those those are the kind of players you got to take care of right now as well. Um, they did agree to expand the playoffs on a multi-year p- um, platform, I believe three years, not just this season. Again, that's good for everybody because that allows revenue to come to the league, to come to local markets and to come to the league because postseason on television, postseason, uh, the postseason at the gate, is maximum revenue. There's no question about that. So I think that's probably here for good if we get to a season this year. Other than that, it's basically just you're on deck. <laughs> um, they swung pretty far left. Their, their, their proposal, so again, the owner's proposal with the scale dropped the salaries down to $934 million. The 114-game proposal for the player from the players brings the combined salaries back up to $2.7 billion. So it's a little over $1 billion less than the total season salaries combined. Uh, that's not going to do it either. That's not going to do it either. That's, that's too much money for uh, the lack of revenue that the owners will be able to make this year without fans. There's no question about it. So, so the, we're going to have to find a happy medium. Whether, and whether or not it includes the tiered scale remains to be seen. It certainly sounds like, and this is the owner's fault. For everything I just said, it's the owner's fault that they went, they, they created this scale and then they they absolutely tried to squeeze every single last dollar out of that out of the players using that scale versus here's an idea. How can we make this work from a financial standpoint to, to benefit everybody? They they went out and threw out the worst case possible scenario, which has completely turned the players' association off from this scale. They want the, the players just want to deal with their prorated salaries at this point. And that's not going to be good for the for the owners. So the owners have probably about seventy two hours to really figure out how how to proceed right now. And we've discussed it before, Scott. They're going to lose money to play baseball this year, every game, because of the lack of fans and the lack of concessions and the lack of parking and blah blah blah. Uh, I I just don't see a way forward here. I don't. No, I, I agree. It almost looking at this original proposal and how the math worked out and the substantial amount of money that 
they're trying to reduce by it, it, it's so radical it almost seems like the owners don't even want to play because well, that's what i'm saying uh, of yeah, them they don't. with the potential of losing more money on top of it so mm-hmm. i mean yeah it's it's radical um if they go to the 114 they're they're saving about 30 percent from the original um so we're, we're like you said we're swinging from way one way to the other way hopefully at some point they can meet in the middle if possible but time is against them right now so I let mean, me they ask could you have this because because you yeah you're right i mean like i said this is probably a 72-hour window the the original number it was one of the first numbers that came out when and everybody was trying to figure out just how much money these leagues were about to lose and it came out with baseball and i i, I believe I don't remember which other sport. It might have been hockey that basically said every every game we have that doesn't include fans, we're losing 40% of our revenue. So f- yep. over the entire season, 40% revenue is lost because of the situation we would be in. Why can't that just be the freaking number? Fine. We're going right. to drop our salaries 40% from a prorated standpoint, and we're going to go play some baseball. I don't understand why that just can't be the number. <laughs> Right. Then one hand feeds the yeah. other and we go from here together as a league. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, I understand there's a million other things I'm not I don't know, you know, that the owners are losing on. But at least we can all hang our hat on something that simple. Right. And you have to think while there aren't going to be fans, that TV revenue is going to help swing it back a little bit. Um, obviously, it's an unknown amount what it could get up to, but at least having some sort of uh, presence on TV and conversation in the media and everything else is going to help swing things back to get more revenue from what they would have originally lost. So, I mean, I I almost feel like they're almost approaching the 11th hour here. Uh, They probably could have been doing a better job two, three weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Uh, and like you said, they keep coming out and saying these things. It's he said, he said, she said, and the NBA has just kept things quiet for the most part outside of the 25% reduction on salaries that we talked about. But I mean, NHL, they're, they're they have a plan that they've come out with. I haven't even heard anything about reduced salaries from them. Have you? Not to go in a different direction, but I haven't even heard anything from them. Similarly to the NBA, much of the regular season was already paid off. So I believe they're in this, a similar boat where there might have been some slight reduction. Um, yeah. Again, though, I haven't heard it, which is, I guess, good for them. <laughs> because uh, we mentioned how we were kind of impressed with Gary Bettman, and that's hard to do. Um, he he seemed to kind of put his head down and, and just figure this out and, and understood how important the postseason is to that league. And it is massive. And yeah, I don't, I think the I players w- just understand that too. Well, and I wonder if it's a um, uh, perfect storm of this just happens to be a year before the CBA ends. And uh, yeah, they did it, not be opt out. You're right. So if the, if the end of the CBA was, three, four years out, would we be having such issues or such concessions uh, with the current situation? I, you never talking know. Talking about baseball? Happens. 
Well, yeah, with baseball. I mean, if it wasn't so close to, you know, if it was two or three years out, would players be in their minds thinking, oh, might as well just strike right now? You know, you um, and I have talked or, about that quite a lot. I, I just honestly have not heard that from a lot of the pieces we're reading. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, the, the baseball writers are afraid to mention the yes word <laughs> because it, it's inevitable, I think, but they don't want to have that, that life in front of them. So what are we mm-hmm. talking about here? Let's just say it is a 40% reduction, Scott. What are we talking about for total player salaries? I mean, I, yeah, so Mike Trout, $36 million. What, what does 40%, a 40% reduction mean for him and then mean for the, this whole active roster league here? Yeah, he would be down from 36 down to 21.6 million. Uh, the total league would be at 2.3 billion dollars. Hmm. Still a lot of moolah, huh? <laughs> it is, but it's it's closer to that 114 proration. That 114 proration was at 27, and the 40 percent reduction would be at 23. So, I mean, I mean, 60 percent of the games would be about 98. Little under a hundred games would be sixty percent of okay. one sixty-two. So couldn't we just have a forty percent salary drop and a hundred games? Yeah, makes sense. It's a nice can, round number. Yeah, can we just do this? Let's. There we go. We fixed baseball in twenty-five minutes. That's it. <laughs> everybody, everybody, pass this podcast around so we can get this done. And we can get the Mets back on TV because I'm about to lose my mind over here. All right. Uh, that's enough for that. Obviously, we're going to keep up with it as, as hopefully more offers come in this week. Like I said, we're getting down to the wire. I think it's very real that we're heading towards a bad place and that they're just going to give up and say it's not worth it financially and it's not worth it from a safety measure to try to play 100 games in this current scenario, but hopefully not. Hopefully, we can, uh, we can get to some sort of resolution. I, I'm pretty confident now about the NHL and the NBA, though. That's for darn sure. And we get golf back in 10 days. Yeah. Well, we got golf, NASCAR still trucking rolling. along. Yeah, NASCAR's women's women's soccer's coming back. Uh, MLS is Premier close to a deal, back. right? MLS is close. Yeah, MLS sounds like they're yeah Premier do... League in ten days. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of leagues are starting to come back. So all right, I'll be a happier person. Less coffee, less booze. All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're gonna switch gears here and uh, talk some baseball nerdiness with Hembo. Can't wait for this. I love this. I can't wait to get this guy in more every week. Scott, thanks for your time. We'll be back soon. While most sports are currently at a standstill, it's never too early to start preparing your updated fantasy football draft roster. And there's no better resource than Fantasy Pros. With their flagship draft wizard, Mock Draft Simulator, you can customize any format that your fantasy league plays. Run mock drafts in a matter of minutes against realistic opponents and prepare for any scenario your draft might face. Everything's going to be updated. We've got rookies, we got UDFAs. There's plenty to deal with right now, especially if you're a dynasty draft. And, you know, extensions like Deshaun Watson will matter to you. Get in there, start cranking the numbers out, start figuring out what the heck is about to happen here as we push towards the, uh, you know, the, the preseason schedule and things like that. It's going to come soon, especially with nothing else going on. So keep up with it on Fantasy Pros. Visit fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl today. Get a head start on your competition. Again, that's fantasypros.com slash spottrack-nfl. All right, really glad to have this guy back. Hembo, producer for Get Up from ESPN, Paul Hembicatus. Paul, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Let's talk some baseball, some real baseball, not just the uh, the COVID-19 version of baseball. Thanks for coming back, man. 
I appreciate it. Real baseball is my favorite kind of baseball, and it's funny. <laughs> it seems like you and I were on the same page with this one. I was doing some research at the back end of last week and thinking to myself, I need to hop back on the podcast, and I think I sent you a DM that seemed just minutes before you were going to send me one. So I think uh, they say great minds think alike, but too bad I'm an idiot. <laughs> I can, I'll, I'll be with you on that one. Yeah, we were probably both running the exact same numbers, trying to figure out how this season is going to work financially, and it just it just made sense to meet in the middle here. Uh, you've got a great piece that you added on with Buster, as you usually do. Break it down for us. What what, what kind of numbers are you running from a baseball standpoint? And uh, we'll go from there. Well, so what made uh, last week's proposal from the owners, I think, so interesting is that I think at its core, it was a little bit, if not malicious, at, at minimum manipulative, because the way that they framed the, the proposal was that you were obviously going to penalize the players with the, you know, the largest earnings and those players not coincidentally are the most famous and the most popular. So one question I have is like, yes, I understand why the owners did it because it's much better for them optically. If you have players amongst themselves fighting over how many millions of dollars they're going to lose, than the sort of public narrative playing out through a lot of leaks, unfortunately of, of league versus the players union. I think that's sort of the sort of underscores where they were coming from, at least in my judgment. But what's most, most interesting to me is that the vast majority of players that, you know, was presented in, uh, you know, the league's initial proposal, you know, aren't these, you know, obvious, you know, high earners. So if you look at last year, 1,410 players specifically played in a major league baseball game and using your site, I discovered that 124 of them made $10 million. That's only 9% of the player pool. And 40 of them made at least $20 million. That's only 3% of the player pool. And baseball is very much a young man's game and not really a rich man's game by, you know, baseball's lofty standard. And if you look at the, you know, sort of current baseball um, player pool across the board, only about 20% of players have accrued more than six years of service time. Obviously I picked that number because that's the, the amount that you need to accrue in order to become a free agent. So that was what was most striking to me is are the, are the, is the, is the owners going to bait these players into fighting against each other? And I have to give the players credit. They came back with a proposal initially. They did. So I think for the most part in a, in a, in a in sort of by taking the high road, like I said, Max Scherzer sort of the face of that. I asked Jeff Pass and myself, like I was like, is it smart? Is it wise for Max Scherzer, who has a $210 million contract, to be the face of this, just optically? And what he said was, what you sacrifice there, I think you make up for with Max's popularity. And I think I'm good with that. But like, I think, I think that's a, as someone who works in, in sports media, it's a really big thing. Like, it's, you always see, you always see, especially online, the fans of these players, the fans of these teams side with the side with the owners because they don't know them nearly as well. But when, when Max Scherzer is telling you, I'm not playing this year for fill in the blank, $17 million or whatever it is. I think in his case, it would be closer to closer to 10 than 20 just because of the proration and because of the proposed cuts. It's hard for fans to stomach that. So that's a sort of a long winded answer to get us started. But that was sort of the, the, the crux of what, you know, the numbers I looked at in terms of, uh, you know, the, the current construction of the player pool and who might be most affected by those big cuts. Your, your point on Max Scherzer is really interesting because when I saw him do it, number one, I was a little surprised because he's, he's generally a quiet guy, even though I think in the locker room that's probably not the case. But publicly speaking, he, he's not de- generally out there. But I immediately thought of Aaron Rodgers and what he did when the NFL-CBA negotiations were going on and how his take on it was more negative, more volatile. But Max Scherzer's take was not... Not so much, you know, F this, essentially. It was more, we're insulted right. by this, 
and we're not we're not even going to respond to this. Meaning, try again. You know what I mean? It it, it was basically because he 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 generally isn't public. I think he was the perfect person. And by the way, oh by the way, being one of the highest paid players, I think also gave him some cachet with this. But he was the right person to do this. I think not to mention you know. World Series champion, everything was sort of in his favor, in his corner, to be able to go out and make that statement. But I do think it worked. I really do because it it, it did bond, it bonded the players' association in a way that that brought them together. And I, I don't think that their counteroffer was that ridiculous. Yes, it was extreme, but not to the extremities that the owners put out, which you you called it not so much egregious. I think it was pretty bad, Hembo. I think that, I mean, I did the numbers today. I tweeted them out this morning. You're talking about almost a $3 billion cut in total salary for, for the active players this year. It's just too much. It's too much for an 82-game season, in my opinion. It is too, it is too much. It is objectively too much. But these are, like, that's, that's what a contentious negotiation is. I guess that would be my retort. Like, yes, I think it's definitely too much for what they're asking but like anything, I, I'm in the process of, of trying to buy a house now. Like you all, you always start way below what you want to pay, knowing where you're going to probably end up. So like we, we saw the players say 114 games. Now we're now we're seeing now the latest, you know, just coming out, you know, this evening from Jeff Passan saying, sure, we'll pay you the, you know, the prorated salaries, but we can only pay you prorated salaries for 50 games. I get it. Like it's it's very difficult for you and me to be sympathetic for these billionaire owners, and these guys are billionaires. I think it's it's easy for fans to forget that. But like, these are the people that are taking your money. These are the people. Like these are if, if, if you're one who just you know believes in in in, in the person you know, the highest in the hierarchy as being the oppressor. In this case, that is definitely the owners. But in the in the defense of the owners, we we know the proration is is necessary, and we know that the players are going to accept that. I think that is inevitable. But Paul, do you, do you think the, do you think the of, scale you know, was the right approach? Yeah. Do you think the scaled tiered approach that they offered was the right approach or would you, or do you think just the straight proration is the better option here? I, well, I personally thought that the scaled approach was ingenious. I don't know if it's going to work, but the reason I thought it was uh, ingenious was because the players hit most by it were such a large percentage. Like I said earlier, yes. I, I think they, I, I wouldn't say they thought they were pulling a fast one, but I do think they were hoping that a large contingent of players not making nearly as much money. We're, we're going to say and voice, you know what guys, this isn't so bad for us, and that us is eighty percent of the players. But as far as as far as the owners are concerned, Max Max Scherzer did say something in his statement that I find curious, and it's been sort of a common refrain among the players. They're saying like, "I need the owners to be more transparent with the money," and that's true. Like I I'm one who do, does believe in transparency when, when at all possible. But I don't think it takes a rocket scientist, or as I like to, as I like to say, a rocket surgeon, to to discover that without fans in the stands that's a huge percentage of the revenue. We have public data, Forbes has public data that indicates about 40% of the income uh, of, you know, of a big league club comes from both gate receipts and then whatever, you know, people are spending their money on in stadiums. We know that already. So the fact that the players were so surprised that they were being asked to take such a huge pay cut as, as, as you put it surprised me. Like if I were the players, what the owners did was, that was what I would have expected. That's how these things go. The only thing that I wish, or I would say more than anything, what I wish is that you and I didn't have the opportunity to talk about this every single day because of these people irresponsibly leaking all this information. I don't understand why there aren't two adults in the room that can just say, let's keep this between us because then these extremes in terms of the negotiations 
wouldn't be wouldn't be you know so uh, outlandish and, and being uh, played out so publicly. You literally just took the next question out of my mouth, and I want to continue on with this because something you said right out of the gate is I think answers this this problem, this question, this this public outcry, this public negotiation. You use the word manipulative. That's exactly what the answer is here. That the reason the reason you 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 negotiate publicly is to get a response, and the reason you get a, to get a response is to make one side look worse than the other. That's exactly what the owners did here. Yes, it was a bad offer, but they also put it out to three, four people that they knew would get it out to the mainstream quickly and get it into the players' hands quickly via social media. And now, of, of course, there's going to be an immediate response to that and a negative response to that. Um, so I do think your word manipulative was right and take or leave the offer as it was. I want to touch, get back on this, this tiered scale a little bit because Scott and I had the ability to talk about it a little bit a few minutes ago. I'm actually shocked. I'm not shocked because you're right. This is how negotiations start. You make a bad offer and then you meet in the middle. I, I use the word ingenious. I agree. I, I think this tier approach is perfect, not only because it hits a majority of the MLB players, but also it, it safeguards them, Hembo, from the season shutting down after 20 games because of a, another wave of coronavirus. It, it pays incrementally from the ground up. So guys like Trout and Cole and Arenado with their massive salaries – they wouldn't get their massive prorated salary yet. They'd be on a minimum pay scale to start, and they'd have to graduate to the next tier as the season progressed. So you're safeguarding yourself from a health and safety standpoint as well. I think that's a brilliant structure. I just don't think you should have included the $993 million tag with it. I think they should have opened up this as, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just open this up as this is yeah. the thing we, we're proposing. This is, this, is how, this is the container we want to use. Let's work together behind a closed door and try to fill in the blanks with the numbers. And I think that would have been a much better approach. And I actually think the players, once they were educated in how this tiers worked, and thank God I have Scott to figure out the math for me, um, I think they would have been on board to some degree. So I do think it's a better approach than the, than the straight proration because I think at the end of the day, if, if the players want to go prorated, uh, I think Manford already has the ability, and we saw from Jeff Passett, as you, as you noted, I think he's going to take, he's going to supersede everything and say, we've already agreed to prorate, but I'm only going 45 games and that's what we're all going to make this year. And that's what we're going to play. And we'll get to the postseason and we'll make our TV money that way. So I'm worried that that we're getting there, but I have to tell you this, this news about the fact that Manfred does have the ability to go back to that March 26th agreement as a backup plan that, that eluded me up until this point. So I was worried that we were just going to have nothing. Now I feel like we have at least a fallback back plan that maybe crazy shortened, but at least it's going to be something. What are your thoughts on that? Well, a lot. There's a lot to impact with what you just said. The first thing I would say is uh, it is it is awfully nice, if true, that Major League Baseball can settle on a number, let's say around number like 50, like we saw today, that we can play with the prorations. And by and large, everyone can feel okay about it. Like if that's our baseline, I feel way better than the baseline of there being an NBA summer and an NHL summer and, and no baseball this summer. Because uh, for the last couple of weeks, you and I have been operating from the premise that like, that is a, that has become a very real possibility. Yeah. And if indeed we have a, a, a safeguard in place where Manfred can just sort of, you know, unilaterally enact that, uh, that makes me feel better just as a baseball, just as a baseball fan. However, I do think there is, correct me if I'm wrong. I do think there is a real contingent, or at least a handful of owners that might say, we're better off financially by not playing at all. And I, and, and I hate saying that out loud, but you, we, we already know these guys have lost and are con- going to continue to lose a ton of money. And if they feel like the players are bending them over backwards and being unreasonable in order to wield as much power as possible, because obviously in this case, 
the players are essential employees, and I don't think there's you know any other way to describe them other than that. Like that's that's what they are. So there's going to be owners that think to themselves, it behooves us not to play and not to pay anybody at all, uh, especially some of these you know small market clubs. Obviously, nobody wants that. But the answer to the question, who has more to lose, owners or players? The answer to that question is always the players, because the owners are, have already lost a lot of money, and they're already going to lose way more money, even if we do play. So the, those, the, the ownership angle here is, is fascinating to me, because obviously there's such a you know there's such a smaller uh, you know constituency there too. But those those guys, those guys have a lot to figure out. I think have a little bit more leverage than I thought a month ago. A month ago, I thought to myself, the players have enormous leverage. It's, it's, it's incumbent on them to try to use it as best as possible and to think long-term. I don't, I don't think that so much anymore, the more that I read. And it doesn't, it obviously doesn't help the fact that, that there's just zero, like literally zero goodwill between the union and the league right now. Um, and it also doesn't help that the, I think the lack of like public and vocal leadership among the players has really not been evident until this week. And like I said, when you have these guys coming from all sorts of different places economically, that's really, really challenging. Tom Glavin spoke a couple of weeks ago about this and how, He's like, you guys, you players are going to get hammered if you don't sort of join together here and start working towards a compromise. And if we don't get there, I think he's going to be exactly right. Yeah, I don't think it was an accident that we all know that baseball's accounting department basically says they're going to lose $640,000 per game with no fans in the stand based on the salaries that would be paid out. I mean, there's a reason we know that, right? It's because the owners want us to know that they do have leverage, and that's it right there. If they don't play and they don't have to pay players, they, they basically break even to some degree with a lot of these losses. Not, not of course, the gate, but... Um, you well, know. Let, me, let me stop you there for just one moment, because you, you, you make an interesting point. Like, Major League Baseball, like the, the, the owners have been very have been very sort of ominous with like, this is like, we're like, they haven't showed us, they haven't showed us their work. They haven't showed us the back of the napkin, but they're like, they're saying like how vital, you know, the, the attendance and and all, and all that goes with the, all all that goes with the attendance, you know, impacts the financials. Is that to me, like I see a very reasonable world in which a lot of that money can be made up. And my sort of going theory here um, is that there will be such an extraordinary appetite for live sports this summer why can't the TV networks get involved here and try to make up some of this money back? Major League Baseball could, th- could play three national games a day, as far as I'm concerned. You could fill up one, four, and seven. You could line up ESPN, CBS, and Fox. I'm not an expert in that in that field, in the programming department, but it seems to me that people are going to watch live baseball whenever it's available and as much as they possibly can. Maybe you can make up that 40%, and if you can make up even half of that money, just sort of in a pinch this summer, well, who knows? Like maybe, maybe a straight proration, you know, Maybe a straight promotion can happen, but maybe say across the board, 20% off of that rather than the 40 or, you know, in some cases, even, you know, larger numbers for the higher paid players. To me, like major league baseball needs to be more creative and trying to earn money for themselves. Like, I think, I think using the lame duck excuse that we don't have fans in the stands is getting old because we've known this for months now. If they haven't thought about how they can make some of that money up, that's on them. Right. And the Marlins haven't folded with eight fans per game. So <laughs> it's clearly doable. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, way ahead of their time. <laughs> yeah, Scott and I have actually thrown this up the flagpole as well. So things like make the make the MLB League Pass, uh, you know, either crazy discounted or just flat out free, and let people on the East Coast be able to see Mike Trout every day. You, you know, not just use the networks. I understand the networks is where you make the money, but you know, use the tools you have to to make all of these games available to as many eyeballs as possible, and obviously turn that into revenue however you can. 
there's some easy creative accounting here. Not to mention you're expanding the postseason already, and that's been agreed to by the players. So that's going to be new revenue that they, they weren't anticipating as well. I agree. There's definitely a way to make this back. I think the 640000 per game that I mentioned is probably a bogus number anyway. Um, yeah. You mentioned it. They, they aren't showing the work. Max Scherzer in a statement passive-aggressively basically said, show us the work, and then we'll, we'll actually cons- you know start to compromise a little bit here when we know the actual numbers, not just hear what you're saying. So I do think that that stands to reason. Um, just give me an estimate. What, what do you think is going to happen here? Do you think we're going to we're going to end up with 50 games and, and the players will get prorated salaries and then we'll have a, a good postseason and go from there, or are we going to get some sort of lo- more long term resolution here? Uh, if you're asking me to make an educated guess, a week ago I probably would have said something to the effect of it is more likely than not that we don't play baseball this season, mm. which would just obviously ruin my summer. Um, in addition to, in, in addition to pretty much everyone's 2020. Um, but now based on you know, the, the information that we have and the fact that we've had now a proposal, a counter proposal, and then another, I think we're leading to something. What is that something? My best guess is some, some, obviously some approximation between 50 and 114. Obviously the original proposal was 82, I guess closer to 50 than 114, but you're going to ask, I think what they'll probably, what they'll probably end up having to do is players will have to decide, would I rather have a prorated salary for 65 games? Or would I rather have, uh, would I rather have these, you know, stagger type things for 90? I, I think there's, you just can't have it both ways. Like this is a negotiation and a compromise amidst an unprecedented once in a century pandemic, right? You're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to get everything you want. And we've already sacrificed so much, right? My guess, is that something approximating a 70 or, you know, 70 game season, say with a proration on top of a more sort of modified stacking of, of the, you know, the staggering that you described and hopefully major league baseball can find ways to make more money in the TV business, because I would imagine that's going to be a pretty easy sell for people between the advertising dollars and the increased national exposure. We have, the, I mean, the networks have the bandwidth. We obviously have so many employees right now that are uh, not doing what they normally do because of the lack of sports. My hope and expectation is that you know the lease partners from a television standpoint can go a long way in, in, in remedying that. So that will be my sort of uneducated guess for you: a 70-ish game season with a, with a with a proration plus some sort of uh, you know further staggering that isn't nearly as extreme as the initial proposal from the league. One more question: I'm going to throw you off here a little bit, put you on the spot. What happens if Jeff McNeil bats 400 in a 70-game season? <laughs> You're the stat guy. Uh, I know you live and die well, by I this guess stuff. It, I, I guess it would mean that Chase Utley didn't take him out. First of all, and, and I guess, and I guess, second of all, we'll have to have the you know for for the next 100 years, we'll have to you know have to argue whether or not the 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 record should hold up because while he qualified for the batting title, he only played 70 games. I'm looking forward to that. And there's going to be things like that. Yeah. Like there's definitely going to be like what if what if Walker Bueller you know has a .85 ERA this year in, in 16 starts? You know, like all is is, is he. You know, it's the all-time leader. There's going to be a bunch of things like that. So, like, once we get, like, I'm looking forward to having that conversation, right? Like, that's that's the conversation we're dying to have, not whether or not you know Tony Clark and Rob Manfred can get out of their own way. At least, I mean, I think most baseball fans would much prefer to argue about whether or not Jeff McNeil's 400 batting averages is is pure or not. <laughs> All right, last real question. This one actually a little bit more Debbie Downer, but I want to get it in here because you, you talk to a lot a lot of people that are smarter than me in, in the baseball world over at ESPN. Again, I'm talking to Paul Hemikidis here, the producer for Get Up. You, I don't know how you're doing this every single morning, finding relevant content to discuss, but God bless you. Um, here's the question. I, I feel like the uh, the S word is, is sort of the elephant in the room with baseball right now, and I'm talking about strike. 
We're about 18 months from the CBA expiring. It's, it's obviously a, a rough relationship between these two sides uh, based on everything we just talked about. I mean, my goodness. Um, is, it, is, it a, is it coming up with this at all, or is this really being separated and isolated because of the situation we're in? And they're really not forward thinking, you know, outside of things like deferred money and stuff like that, which I guess could come into play with an expiring contract. But I'm concerned that the owners basically just say, we know we're, we're going to get striked down in 18 months anyway. So why are we putting in the effort and losing money right now to play baseball? That's how negative I've gotten with this ball. So um, is that coming up with, with the smart guys you talk to? Uh, where do you think on that? Uh, what are your thoughts? I know for certain that Buster only is hearing from people on the player side saying that a strike or at least uh, the potential for one is very real on the player side. When, I can say that with 100% certainty. He says he said so on the record. And it wouldn't stun me if owners are saying that exact thing to, to themselves. When I mentioned earlier that owners uh, might, might be convincing themselves that not playing this year is wiser than playing this year, that's part of the reason. We didn't get that far, but that's part of the math that they're doing for sure. I'm wildly concerned about baseball's long-term health from that standpoint. And there's no way we can view this in a vacuum without also considering the ramifications of the CBA down the road. And that is why I feel like the players specifically have been very, very short-sighted and narrow-minded because if I were a player with the leverage that I had a month ago, you know, like I said, being an essential employee, I would be thinking about what possible gains I can make with the, with the next collective bargaining agreement. Maybe they can shave a year off of service time before free agency. Maybe they can figure out a way to stop for, for teams to stop manipulating it. Who knows? Like there's, there's plenty of things that players, Still, could re- could become much more uh, much more favorable on their side in the CBA that they, they you know they didn't get fixed last time. Let's be candid. Like I think most objective people think that Tony Clark and the players got raked over the coals the last time the CBA happened, and it doesn't seem to me that the players are all that concerned about this. Like a year from now, this is going to be a huge story. But I think there's a real chance that owners are con- you know sort of considering that in their math, saying we're we're doing this in 18 months, we're doing this now. You know, how can we mitigate risk now so that we can, you know, keep them, you know, keep cash in our pockets and, you know, protect ourselves long term? Like baseball over the next two years is going to go through stuff that's really going to shape, you know, the next couple of decades. You're older than I am, so you remember better, like the mid '90s and sort of, you know, how Major League Baseball, res- you know, responded slowly to the strike and what brought it back. I don't know if we're going to have that option next time. You never know. Like ba- baseball certainly can't take that chance. And you know, given the stagnation of player salaries recently and sort of the lack of goodwill that like I mentioned earlier we are not in a good place. Hopefully we can reach a resolution as far as the rest of the season is concerned. But I, I think, I think players will look back on, you know, the last couple of months as being one of a potential missed opportunity for being a little bit too short-sighted and narrow-minded. SNY replayed the 2015 NLCS with the Dodgers and the Mets this weekend. And I watched every second of it, <laughs> including the chase. Part you, of it. <laughs> that is, out, that is outstanding. Uh, they, they shouldn't be allowed to show that before, you know, the FCC should ban that before, you know, nine or 10 at night. That's, that's, that's adult content. That's why I was, uh, well, I didn't let my kids PG, PG watch 13 at minimum. <laughs> Hembo, you're the best. You, I appreciate man. your time, um, man. This is good stuff. Always take care of yourself. All right, a very special thanks to ESPN's Paul Hembicatis. Always a pleasure. So many great numbers, so much great data. This is what he does behind the scenes, not to mention bringing this stuff to the live shows on ESPN, plenty of the articles, lots of the podcasts. We are always thrilled to have him on. Can't wait to do it again. Hopefully we'll have real sports to talk about and some actual game numbers to get to as well. My thanks to Scott Allen for joining it again. The Athletic, visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off. My name is Mike Chinetti. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. <laughs>